Good morning. How you doing this morning? God is so good, isn't he? Great is thy faithfulness. Whew. He's so faithful, isn't he? So very good. Am I, are you with me? He's so good. I, I, I can't get over it this morning, and I'm so grateful for his kindness and his mercy this morning in uh, my life. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City, and we're honored that you're with us. We've been in a series called Counterfeit Faith, and we were, I'm thankful to have Paul Stevens, who, who preached for us last week. He did a great job, didn't he? Let's give him a hand. Paul, uh, Paul was sharing with us from James chapter 4, the first half, and, and uh, you know, James, the book of James is an interesting book. I really have come to really love it, um, but it's a dangerous book, y'all. James is a dangerous book. It's kind of like Pastor James holding up this mirror, <laughs> and the mirror is, yeah, take a look at the reality of who you are. Take a look at the reality of what's in your heart, what's in your soul, and what should be in your heart and in your soul. Right? It's like, ooh. Mm. That Paul last week was sharing, he, he did such a good job because... Um, I don't know if you remember this moment when he was saying, we, we act like our own gods, you know? And he was up here saying, yeah, I, I, I want to be my own god. Worship me, worship me. And we all kind of went, <laughs> remember? It was, a, it was one of those just called a cringeworthy moment. It was this moment where it's like, yeah, I know what he's saying. And I, yeah, I identify with that, but that feels so weird. And it was a cringeworthy moment, but it was absolutely the truth. It's what we do. We make ourselves our own gods. All self-sufficient, all self-reliant. It's all about me and what I want and what I want to do and where I want to go, right? Isn't that how we live most of the time? That's, that's the way it is. And uh, so this morning's no different. We're going to begin to look, uh, continue to look in James chapter 4. You know, I think about my girls. I have two little girls, one that's 8 and one that's 12. I love being the daddy of girls. I love it. <laughs> um, I love it. But, but one of the things about being a daddy of girls is that when there's darkness, like either outside or in a room or whatever, I, it's always like, uh, I'm not going up there, daddy. You just come with, you know, so I'm, I'm always going upstairs or in our bedroom or whatever where the lights are turned off. And my kids, either they're behind me or they're hanging on to me. We're inching in, right, to turn the light on. That's kind of what I sense in James, if I'm being honest with you. It's scary. I see some things in James. The reason I'm in a puddle up here is because I've been seeing some things in James that are real about me. They're truthful about me. And the book of James in its beauty and in its essence is that when we get scared to see the reality of who we've been, we ought to run back behind our daddy God and hold on to the mercy and grace of Jesus that we're covered in. And that's what this book has done for me. It's caused me to run back and go, oh God, I just want to be covered under your mercy and under your grace because a lot of these things are who I am. And I need you to forgive me and change me and help me. And that's the whole idea of learning from the book of James. Paul talked to us last week in James 4. He talked to us about the fact that we've got a little ways to go, don't we? 
All of us have issues in our hearts. All of us have things that we're working through. We got quite a ways to go. We, we should really be a people who humbles ourselves. We shouldn't be a proud people. We should be a people who acknowledges God, that, that we acknowledge the sinfulness of our own souls, and our posture really should be one of brokenness. Our posture should be one of humility, contrition before a holy God. And yet sometimes that's not our posture. I think it's so interesting how James has talked a lot about all these external things, right? Make sure you do this, you do that, you live this way and that way. They're kind of visible things that we do with our lives. And now we're seeing James is beginning to speak about things that are internal realities. The things people may not see as much. They're internal realities, things that, that happen in our minds, they happen in our souls. But as we know, it's those things in our minds and our hearts that cause us to live out from that place, right? We live out of what we are internally. And James is challenging us even further still about what's going on in our souls, in our hearts today. Look with me in James chapter 4, verse 13, would you? It says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we just give you this moment. We give you our hearts, our attention. God, would you please take this text of your word? Would you reveal the truth of it to our souls by your Holy Spirit? Would you lead us and guide us into all truth that we might become the people you want us to be? God, forgive us for arrogance. Forgive us for boasting. Forgive us for pride. We humble ourselves even now as we listen and learn in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. First thing I want you to notice this morning in the text is James is changing direction a little bit. Anytime he begins to change direction, he, he wants to get our attention, right? Hey, come now. Come on. Hey. Just about right say, hey, come on. You guys pay attention, right? James is changing our direction a little bit. Come now. And then he turns his focus on, in some ways, a group of people. It's kind of subtle, but he, he sort of turns his focus on sort of a wealthy group of people. He speaks to people who have the means to go here and there. He speaks to business owners who have the means to make money, who are used to kind of doing their own thing their own way for however long they choose. He's speaking, in some ways, to wealthy people. Uh, several times in the book, James has made several comparisons uh, to rich and poor, wealthy and poor. And uh, this, this is kind of a, he's speaking to a group of people, this is a common occurrence in that day, for people to have business that's sort of a merchant business. Wherever there's a crowd, there's going to be a business. It's not that much different today, right? People have needs and things that they want to do, and so business goes to where the people are. You go to a little town, they may not have every business, but you go to a big town where a lot of people are, then business flock to that area. In the same way, merchants would say, hey, that's, there's people over there in this town, let's go over there. This is something that happened over here, let's go over here. And so he's speaking in some ways to this group. 
but not just to this group. I, I've, I've written on your card this morning six different P's to break out of sort of our text today. And if you want to follow along with what these P's are, I've tried to make this alliteration simple so you can kind of remember what James is saying to us in this text. The first one is this, plans. We all make plans. Uh, but the truth is, if we're being honest, it's really more wealthy people who have the means to go places, right? If, if, if you're going to Disney World, well, you got some money to be able to get to go to Disney World, right? If you're going to lunch today, it's because you have the means to go to lunch in some ways. You know what I mean? There's days that we just got to stay home and we're going to have some bologna and, you know, whatever the case. I love bologna, by the way. Right? I mean, that's, that's good stuff. Larry Clark's not in here to amen, man. It's be the first amen I was waiting on from Larry, but he's my baloney brother. But because uh, he, he loves it with me. James also talks about the fact that people kind of make this comment about, we're going to stay for a year, right? We're going to stay there for a year. It's not, however, listen, it's not, however, just wealthy people that James is speaking to. Because every one of us in here at different times of our lives say, no, I'm going to go do that. No, I've got a plan to go do that. Here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to be this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend this. I'm going to make this. We all are guilty of that sort of thing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is when we begin to place those things above what God wants. The problem is when we begin to say that we're going to do certain things and we don't acknowledge that God is the one who's in control of every moment of every day and everything you have. But we don't think about that. We just do our thing. Paul's, you think about Paul's example last week of saying, hey, tend to my needs and my wants. This is what I need, right? That's who we are. That's what we exhibit. And honestly, it's the original sin from the Garden of Eden. This is Adam and Eve saying, yeah, God, we understand that you gave us a direction. We understand that you had a plan for us and, and you told us what you wanted. But we're going to do this over here. God said to do this specific thing, to not do this specific thing. That's okay. We're, we're going to choose our way. We're going to do what we want because for some crazy reason, we think we're better. We think we're God. Second P this morning is provision. How often we, we think we're just going to do whatever we want. You know, we, we go to college. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get this degree. And people coming out of school with this degree make this much money. I'll be able to get this kind of house. I'll be able to live in this kind of a neighborhood. I'll be with this kind of people. And we just begin to make plans for our provision. James says this, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and we'll trade, and we'll make a profit. See, the problem is not in the planning or the hopes of provision. The problem is in the assumption that you'll have either. That's where the problem is. Or you make an assumption on God that you'll be there tomorrow. Or you make an assumption on God that you'll actually make the money. That people will come to your business. That opportunities will take place. How often do you do that? When I was thinking about this, I was pretty convicted. How often I make assumptions on God about how I'm going to live. How often do we make assumptions and we think that what we have is because of what we've done. Have you made that assumption? Well, I know I saved. You don't understand, Drew. I, I, I saved for that car. No, I, I worked two jobs, okay? I worked two jobs 
Sometimes three to get that car. That's my car. I earned that. I went to school. You don't understand. I went to school. I did the papers. I did the overtime. I did the 18-hour semesters. I earned this. This is mine. Don't we do that? It's so easy to make things about us because of some effort we've put into it. When the reality is, it's not about us. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples a pretty sad and scary story about a man that had his own understanding about the things that he had and about what he wanted to do with his life. You ever seen the bumper sticker that, that says, the one with the most toys wins? You seen that bumper sticker? This is what this man thought. Luke 12, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard. He's speaking to his disciples. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want to just say that again because it's the truth. Ready? One's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I've got so much stuff. I've got so many toys. I've got so much money. I don't even know what to do with it all. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down the barns I've got, and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and make goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Thinking about this, how how often do we speak to our souls? I think it's interesting that Jesus said that in the story. He said the man spoke to his soul. In other words, there's no consideration of God. There's no consideration of something else. It's it's all about me. The deepest part of who we are are souls. Well, we might as well relax. We might as well take it easy. Let's eat and drink and be merry and just do whatever we want. And Jesus is saying to the man, you got your plans and you've got your provisions. But he tells his disciples, he says, God is the one who is in control of your life. He controls space and time, and yet you've made an assumption about those crops. How do those crops grow? You tell me, farmer. How do they grow? Do you need anything for those crops? No, no, no. I got this, right? God is the one who gives us all things, everything we have, everything we've been given, everything we will be given has been given to us by God. He provides, not you. This is the whole idea of Sabbath. You remember that word? Because many of us have forgotten it, and I'm guilty too. Yet this is one of the big ten, right? We need to Sabbath. Why? Because Sabbath reminds us we're not in control. And we're not the ones who provide that we can take a day and worship and rest and, be, and, and recoup because God is going to give to us in six days what our little minds think we need seven for. God is the provider. His title is Jehovah Jireh. It's not Drew Jireh, right? 
but I need to work a little harder. I, I need to go over here and do this. I need to get this little extra thing. I need to... No, what if we just backed up and said, Lord, you're in control of all things, so I submit all that I am and all that I have to you. Does that mean we don't plan? Does that mean we don't, we don't work hard? Does that mean we don't occasionally take an extra job? No. In fact, one of our elders, Justin Elrod, was singing for us this morning. He is an elder care attorney. He's wonderful at what he does. He is one of the best planners I've ever met in my life. And listen to this. He wrote a book that's called You Need a Plan. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> His book is called You Need a Plan, and it's awesome. It's incredible. You need to get it because you need a plan. But the thing is, and he would tell you this, if you have all your plans and you have all your provisions and know Jesus, then you have no purpose. You need more than plans and you need more than provisions. You need a savior and you need God to give purpose to the days of your life and the dollars in your bank account. Jesus said, tonight, sir, you're going to die. You're, you're going to die tonight, so who's going to get all your stuff? Let me ask this question. A man thought he was ready for everything, right? Was he ready for death? But he, he was ready for retirement. He was ready to rest. See, this is the thing. The man was smart. The man had a plan, Justin. The man had provision. The man was a good businessman. And all of it meant nothing. In fact, God called him a fool. When you consider everything else horizontally in life and you don't consider the God of the universe, you're a fool. It's so important that we think about more than just stuff and the, being the God of our own little kingdoms. Jesus said, who gets all your stuff now? And I love the way that uh, Pastor James reminds us how short life is, how fragile life is. Third P this morning is this, your life is just a puff of smoke. One morning I was walking in here from my office and I came into the, to the uh, area back there and I was probably in 10 or 15 feet and I was walking behind a guest and, and this big plume of smoke came out of his mouth in our building. And I was like, oh, he just let out smoke like from a cigarette in our building. But then I went right behind him and I, I didn't smell it. And I didn't see it. It was gone just like that. It's one of those vapes. You know what I'm talking about? E-cigarette. And those, the, the, the smoke goes away immediately. And I was like, wow. James is saying that's what our life is. It's here for a second, then all of a sudden it's gone. That's what life is. I've got these two beautiful girls. God's grace to me to give me these two beautiful, wonderful children. I got a 12-year-old going on 17 She's five, six, driving me crazy, begging me to take her to Starbucks. What is happening right now? <laughs> and if I have one more person say, <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> right? We get it all the time. Well, you just wait until you're walking them down the aisle. Hey, you just wait until they're graduate. I get it. I'm 46 years old. I'm not a young daddy. It took us 12 years to conceive. 
And so when I'm walking my 12-year-old around, in fact, I told Jovi yesterday, she's my eight-year-old, I said, hey, we decided, honey, to not do your birthday this year. We're just not going to do it, and you're not going to grow anymore. You're going to stay right here, eight years old. But here, wouldn't that be weird? 20 years later, you got this little eight-year-old, you know. It, that, that, it's not natural. It, it wouldn't work. It's weird. But I know, I know. It's coming. Life is short. It, it, it happens in just an instant. In fact, Scripture says it's just a breath. Solomon says this in Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Every one of you has plans right now for today. You're thinking about the restaurant you got or the roast that's in the oven. You might be thinking about coming back tonight for our night of worship and prayer, and I hope you do at 5 p.m. It's going to be a beautiful time together as family, worshiping and praying. We have plans. You might have plans to go to dinner after that with friends. Those are all, that's good. But the reality is, we don't know what today will hold. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. So we need to be careful. We need to hold every plan loosely. Hold every plan with our hands open going, God, here's what my plan is, but I surrender it to you and to your sovereignty. Job said this in Job 7, 7. He said, remember me that my life is just a breath. And then the psalmist gives us kind of the right direction, the right attitude for really where we need to see this. And I wish we could all, this be our prayer in Psalm 39, 4. And he says, oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Not just my life, all of mankind to God is just, it's just a mere breath. And the older I get, every single year, every single year, every day becomes more precious to me. Every, every year I, become, I feel like I just, life becomes more fragile to me. I try to hold my kids a little tighter. I try to go deeper in relationships that I have. I want to hold my parents close. Every day life is more precious to me because our days are fleeting. I don't know whether it's sickness or illness or broken dreams, whatever the case may be. And I'm not sure when it happens. Maybe it's mid-20s or mid-30s. But at some point in our lives, we come to this rude awakening that life is not necessarily what we had hoped it to be. Right? In some way, we come to this realization, this isn't what I was dreaming about. I, I, I don't have that job I really thought I would do, and I, I don't have that income, or I don't have that husband, or wife, or child, or friend, or church, or whatever the case may be. It's not exactly what I wanted it to be, and we come to this realization. It's not all about us. My question for us this morning is, you're going to live your life for yourself thinking you're in control, or are you going to actually surrender your life to the one who is in control? The one who actually can give purpose to your life. The one can, who can, and listen, he can give purpose to your life in the middle of it not looking like you wanted it to look. Right wherever it is, wealth or poverty, health or sickness, God is there with you. You 
He can give purpose to whatever step of life you're in. But we need to understand that Proverbs says, Man's, man prepares his steps, right? But it's the Lord who orders his steps. Man makes plans all from his heart. He's got all kinds of things, but it's the Lord who orders his steps. So James encourages us, if we're going to understand the brevity of life, then we need to have a right posture before God. That's the fourth P. It says this in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If it's his will, if this, if this is what he wants, then I'll live and I'll be able to go here. I'll be able to do this or do that. James, he's emphasizing here our need for humility. He's trying to tell us, listen, we need to just bring our hearts low and say, God, whatever you want, you're in control. That's, I'm okay with it, whatever it is. This is how we need to live. He's talking about acknowledging. Do you acknowledge that God is the God of the universe? These songs that Daryl picked this morning were so perfect. As we sing about the glorious God of the universe and how we submit our lives to him beautiful. What's your posture? Because let me tell you something, if you don't acknowledge God, if your life is one that you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, man, whatever. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go my way. If that's your posture before God, I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God. No, we're going to do our own thing. And God said, well, then let's see how that works out for you. Let's see what being your own God will develop for you. And if you're unfamiliar with Romans 1, go read it, okay? Because what it shows us is this downward spiral of us being our own God does not end up very well for us. It does not... uh, bode well for the person that says, I'll be my own God. I'll I'll acknowledge myself and not God. It's very dangerous. Many of us, especially here in the South, we have this little mantra, well, Lord willing, we're going to go over on vacation. You know, you don't say when I say that. And it's a good thing. And I think it came out of this text and it came out of the place where we want to, we want to say that, but isn't it true that sometimes we've turned that into a flippant little colloquialism? Just a little thing that we say, well, Lord willing. It doesn't just need to be this little glib phrase, but it needs to be this unbelievable reminder of the sovereignty of God's presence and will in our lives. And I'm just as guilty as you. And I need to be a better teacher with my children to say, hey, girls, we're making these plans for vacation or we're making these plans for this next weekend or whatever. Hey, uh, let's pray and, and because we don't know. Let's ask if it's, if it's okay. God, if you want us to go, we'll go. If you provide the, uh, the income for us to go, then we'll go. We need to learn that it's not about us and just what we want. And we see the Apostle Paul live this way in such a beautiful way. Look at Acts 18. He, he models this so beautifully for us. Acts 18 verse 20 he says, When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. 1 Corinthians 4.19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 16.7, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you 
if the Lord permits. You don't just get this sort of throwaway from Paul. You get this understanding where I'm placing my life under the very reality that it's not my own. That this is God's life. That everything I have is his, my very heartbeat, the very next heartbeat. And this one, and that one, they're all God's. And if he so chooses, then maybe I'll do that. You just get this sense that he clearly lived in such a way that he could do nothing and go nowhere apart from the will or plan of God. And that's the way we need to live. Doesn't need to be some throwaway statement. It needs to be a condition of our hearts where we're truly weighing what we do and what we have, our plans, our lives, our decisions, our future, our coming and our going, all under the sovereignty of God, acknowledging he's the good one. He loves us and he's in control. He decides, not me. Here's the fifth P, the title of our message, Pride. James says, what you should do is say, if the Lord wills, then, then I'll live or I'll do this or that. But that's not what you do, he tells his church. This is what you should do, but that's not who you are. That's not the way you're living. Instead, this is what he says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So this is the way, you, the way we should live, but you're not living that way. Instead, you're boasting James is saying, listen, you ought to live with submission and humility, not pride and arrogance, but that's who you are. And you're not only living with pride and arrogance, you want everybody to know about it. See, that's step two of pride. One thing is you think you're on God, and step two is this, I want you to know it too, right? Look how awesome I am, and you guys ought to think so too. That's the way pride works. That's the way it works. Do you remember the story? of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a crazy story in Daniel chapter 4. I encourage you to look at it at some point later today. King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, was really ruling over maybe the greatest kingdom in the world at the time, in exile. And he has this crazy dream, and and Daniel had been one to answer dreams in the past. So he comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, will you help me with this dream? And so he tells him the kind of the crazy details of his dream. And Daniel says, okay, you, you sure you want to hear what this means? Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, 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 tell me. What, what, what's going on? <laughs> okay. Um, so your dream means that you're going to be stripped of your kingdom and you're going to go crazy. You're going to be a madman. Um, that's not all, King. Um, you're going you're gonna to go out into the field and your body's going to be wet with the dew, and you're going to eat grass like a cow or like an ox. You're going to be crazy, out of your mind. People are going to dismiss you. You're going to be out there so long, your, your hair is going to grow long like eagle's feathers, and your fingernails are going to grow out like bird's claws. You're going to be out of your mind. I don't know what Nebuchadnezzar said, but I'm sure he kind of went, okay, thanks for the... Uh, interpretation there, buddy. Uh, You can go now, right? We don't know. What we do know is that one year later, Nebuchadnezzar's walking around the top, the roof of his palace, looking over the glory of all that he's created with his hand for his glory, right? For his own majesty. And he actually says it out loud, look at what I've created from my majesty and my glory. And bam, in that one moment, look what happens. 
in Daniel chapter 4, verse 33. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Can God humble you? Yeah. And if he does, I would suggest that you do what Nebuchadnezzar did. Look what he says in in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Isn't it amazing what some radical, significant humility can do in the life of a person? Have you ever tasted that kind of humility? It's not fun, is it? I feel like I've tasted this humility in ways. Um, Yesterday I was praying for us, praying for you, praying for this message. And I kind of became overwhelmed a little bit. And I just kind of sat in this place for a while. And I thought, God, how in the world can you use such an arrogant and prideful person to speak against arrogance and pride. And the Lord just humbled me even yesterday and reminded me of who I am and who I've been, the attitudes of my heart, the things that I've said in my life to different people. I have been arrogant and I have been prideful. And yet in his grace, I stand before you today to teach from the word of God that he can do anything And he can take a king on top of a palace who thinks he created it and place him face first in the middle of a field eating grass and humble him. Look what he says in verse 37. says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I now praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Is that greater than me, the king of Babylon? Yeah. I honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Here's a man that was king. Like, in some ways, don't you think, wait, man, kings get some stuff, don't they? They're supposed to have the palace. They're supposed to have the wealth. They're supposed to have the fancy robes. And, and yet even the king of the world at the moment was humbled to the reality that he was not the king of heaven, right? And the king of the world was face down in the grass when God helped him to realize who the one true king was and is. Here's the sixth P for us this morning. Passivity. Verse 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. James is not just talking about pride right here. He's not just talking about this lesson in this moment, right? This this letter would have been read all the way through. He's saying, listen, do you remember the things we talked about? That if you just hear the truth and then don't do it, that's sin, remember? You remember the things we talked about that if you don't help those in need, those who need it most, like widows and orphans, if you don't help them, that's sin, If you allow your your life to be stained by the world, that's sinfulness, and you don't do anything about it, that's sin, right? If you show favoritism or prejudice 
or if your, your faith is one that is fake, because real faith produces real fruit, if you live that way that's fake, that, that's sin, if you speak in such a way that your tongue wounds people, and, and he describes sets of fire to the world because of how we speak, that's sinfulness. If you choose the world's wisdom and the devil's wisdom over God's wisdom, it's sinfulness. And Paul talked last week about the fact that if you fight each other instead of the sin that is in your own soul, it's sin. And we compound sin upon sin when we don't act upon sin. How dangerous, my friends, for you to sit here and go, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, that's a bad one. Yeah. When we're passive towards sin, it's a dangerous thing. May we be a ready people to repent. May we be a people ready to fall on our knees and our faces saying, yeah, God, that's me. You remember Paul last week? <laughs> so I keep picking on you. When he said, yeah, Jesus taught, remember at the Sermon on the Mount about if you even look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. How many adulterers do we have? In the, remember when he did that last week? I was sitting there going, you know? Because it was cringeworthy and it was absolutely true. And the fact that we don't go shows that we don't understand the seriousness of our own sin and the brokenness of our own condition. We are a sinful people. We are a broken people. And even our thoughts betray us. Martin Luther King said, the time is always right to do the right thing. It's always right. He said this in his letters from Birmingham jail. He said, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Now, I want you to think about that quote, not in the sense of social or civil justice, but in the sense of God's perspective. When your life becomes silent, in other words, you don't feel a need to give an answer to God's question. You don't feel a need to give a response to God's unctioning, his pushing, his wooing. That's a sad day. That's a sad day. Our silence to God's word is deafening. When he makes it clear what he expects of our lives, when he makes it clear what he wants of us in order to believe in him and to be a believer in Christ, and we go, nope. Friends, I want you to see there's nothing more than rebellion. It's just rebellion. It's just sinfulness in our human condition. And it'll make us run back to our daddy God and say, Lord, would you forgive me? I'm scared of the reality of who I am, the monster that lives in me. Jesus, would you cover me by your grace and by your blood? Would you forgive me? Would you help me not be that person I see in the mirror sometimes? It's sin. Passivity's been around for a long time, hasn't it? I think about the Garden of Eden. Why did the serpent make the offer to Eve? I don't think we can know. But it's interesting, isn't it? Why did he offer the fruit to Eve? Why, did, why was she the first one to take the bite and then give it to Adam? I mean, was he not there? He was there, wasn't he? He was there because he took a bite. Let me tell you something. Of course he was there 
but he was silent. He was there, but he was silent. Of course he was there, but he shirked his responsibility to lead and protect his wife and his family and what God had ordained for him to do. Of course he was there, but instead of leading, he followed. And where he should have been faithful and obedient, he just simply failed. Men, I speak to you for a moment. We fail in these ways every single day, don't we? But can I urge you with all that I am to reject passivity? Reject it. I've got a coffee mug at home that my friends at uh, Fellowship Associates gave me. They're the ones that create this men's material called 33 and men's fraternity. And they have a coffee mug. And on the coffee mug, it just says, reject passivity. What they're saying is, stand up and be a man of God. But instead, what do we do? We do what this verse talks about. We say, no, I'm my own God. I want to go over here and I want to do this, right? If we're going to be godly men, we need to work to protect them from the enemy, our families and our wives. Are we loving our wives as Christ loved the church, men? Are we? Are we serving them in that way? Or have we become our own gods? In fact, we, we expect everybody to serve us. Remember that mirror that we kind of, that's what we do, isn't it? Dad'll just stay on the couch. You guys tell me when dinner's ready. Dad works hard every day. Y'all clean the kitchen. No, no, no. May we, may, we, may we crash that image of what a man is and do our best to outserve our wives. Do our best to love them with everything that we are and everything that we have to protect them, to not be passive. Because if we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, it's sinfulness. Have we treated Sunday like God's day, but every other day, that's my day. That's what I used to do. There's something strange about Sundays. Well, I'll just, I'll put on the good clothes and I'll put on the, the face. Hello, I'm perfect. How are you? Good to see you're perfect today. All righty, we're perfect together. And we just live this lie that life is perfect and things are great and wonderful and we don't recognize the reality of the sinfulness of who we are and who we've been and what we've done. Instead, this could be a place where we walk in and go, I'm imperfect. I messed up. I did this. I did that. I'm a sinner. Do you take sinners here at South City Church? I don't know who else we have, honestly. It's not just the Lord's day that we give him. It's every day. Because it's his whether we give it to him or not. It's his whether we acknowledge him or not. Listen, have you been shown the truth? Has God shown you something specific about your life? And you have not answered his question. Has there been something, maybe even this, in this series, maybe it's something a year ago or something back from another time that you know God was moving you in a direction and you willfully said, no. Can I encourage you just to re-enter that conversation? Say, God, I, I made a mistake. Because now I see that my way leads to hell. Me being my own God is not a good thing. 
And that this whole thing with the, the, the long eagle's feathers for hair and nails, that's not a good look for a king. And I don't want to be humbled in that way because I wouldn't listen to you. God, I want to serve you. I want to bring myself to my own knees. Do you know what he expects of you and yet you're choosing not to do it? Happens a lot. We all do it at times. And friends, I'm calling us as Christ followers of the Lord Jesus to say, Lord, not anymore. This is the thing that you've moved in me toward. This is the thing you've wanted me to do. This is where you've wanted me to give or you've wanted me to serve or you've wanted me to help or you've wanted me to speak or what, whatever the case may be, you're stopped something. God, would you help me to do that? Because it's sinfulness for, for us to know what God expects and not do it. Whether it be our plans, where we think our provision comes from, not understanding that our lives are just a vapor, not having the right posture before God, thinking we're our own God and being prideful, or just being passive and not doing anything towards the things God has spoken us about. Can we just give these things to the Lord this morning? I, I, can I just tell you this altar is gonna be open in just a minute, and I just keep thinking about that image of turning the lights on for my girls. Some of you need to come and run to the Father. Some of you need to come and run to his arms and say, God, I'm, I'm scared of the darkness that is in me and what I've become and what I've done and I need your grace and I need you to cover me. And some of you have never experienced that. Some of you have never said, Lord, I, I need to be covered by that grace. I've just been living my own life and doing my own thing and that's all that's mattered to me. And I'm telling you, you need to repent. You need to humble yourself now Remember what James said in James 4.10? He said, when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. You wonder why you keep hitting a ceiling in life? You wonder why things aren't working? Who's been the boss? You. It's time to just surrender. Say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm not the boss. And can I just say this before we go? Listen, you don't know what tomorrow may hold. Two days ago, we had a service for a wonderful man who went to sleep about a week ago, planning to get up and go to work, planning to enjoy his new home. He was a good man, but he planned to wake up the next day and he did not. The good news is he was ready for eternity. The good news is he had lived a life that showed his, his family and those people that knew him that he was ready. And so my question for you this morning is, maybe you have your plans and maybe you have your provisions, but are you ready? Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is the Savior of your soul? That he's forgiven you and he's given you mercy to live. If you don't know that, would you come speak with me or Brother Jerry down here in just a minute? We want to tell you about this, Jesus. We want to pray with you. Sometimes we just need to run to the arms of our Father. And I'm encouraging us, whoever, to do that today as we consider that we are not God. There's only one God. May we submit 
May we know, as the psalmist says, may we know our end. God, help us to know the measure of our days, that they are a breath here today and gone tomorrow. May we be ready for eternity. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity today to be alive. There's breath in my lungs. There's breath in our lungs. There's a heartbeat in our chest today because you have allowed us to live. And you have allowed us to be together. And I believe, God, also in that same sovereignty that whoever's in this building listening to this message today, you have allowed them to hear these words from the word. And so, God, I believe that even by your Holy Spirit in this very moment, you're moving and working in the hearts of people. There may be someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior. God, would you move and draw them to yourself? God, would you help them to realize that they are not God, only you are God. And as long as we insist that we're God, God, we'll just continue this downward spiral and our lives will begin to spin out and fall apart. And many people here today hear that and they said, no, my life has already spun out. My life has already fallen apart. And yet you, God, say, just come. Come to me. Come now. Come back to your daddy's arms and be protected. Let me turn on the light and the darkness of who you've been and the brokenness of what you've done. Let me change your life for eternity. Are we ready? God, for all of us, I pray that today that you would let this not be a flippant saying that we truly would weigh in our hearts every moment of our lives, every day, every plan, every penny before you with open arms, open hands. Lord, everything we have is yours. Every moment we have is yours. Make us ready for eternity more than for tomorrow here on this place. God, if there's anybody here today that's struggling, maybe they just need prayer. They just need some encouragement. Maybe they just need to come to this altar and, and weep before you. Whatever the case may be, God, would you, would you draw them to yourself by the power of your spirit even now? We pray it in Jesus' name.